0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: believe. All right, welcome to another episode of Talk and Ball with Pat Leonard. I am the Daily News NFL columnist and giants beat writer. I have a special guest with me today, Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. Before we get to him, I want to tell you a little bit about BetOnline. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds, news, and info for everything March Madness and NBA this year. From the Final Four to the NBA playoffs, BetOnline is your sports information headquarters this season. If you love sports info, score, news, and podcasts, you can find everything at BetOnline. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code Believe. that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. bet online, where the game starts. And where we start, like I said, none other than Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, owner of Football Game Plan, analyst at CBS Sports. He's a play-by-play guy. He's a color analyst. Honestly, Emery, I don't know what you don't do right now. Thanks for joining the show.
0: Always a pleasure, Pat, man. Listen, I got to find one more job to do, one more thing to do. I feel like I'm not doing enough.
1: Well, I know you're doing too much because I just saw you announce the release of your 2023 draft guide, the football game plan, 2023 draft guide with a thousand individual scouting reports. By the way, everybody, if you want to go get that, go to footballgameplan.com backslash 2023 draft guide. Emery, I have to ask you, what kind of discipline and time? does it take for you to put together a guide and a prospectus of that magnitude?
0: It takes a, a ton of discipline and, and full disclosure when people ask, I always got to tell them about my process. Cause you know, this during the fall se- uh football season, I'm covering the NFL and I'm covering college football and calling games. I don't get started to the, you know, with the draft process until January when I'm traveling to all of these all star games. And I wow. went to all eight all star games is January. and then. I get into the film room and study these guys from the from a film perspective the week of the Super Bowl. So that's why you never see me at the Super Bowl with CBS Sports, because I'm always locked in, getting that process started, putting together this draft guide. 5 a.m. wake up. You start at 5.30, breaking down film. I finish the first half about noon, go to lunch, go work out, um, run some errands, come back about 3 and go to about 6.30 that evening so you get about a good 12 hour day in at 20 to 25 prospects per day and you do that until it's done so i'm talking about monday through monday Uh, and so that's how you got to have that discipline to get the get as many guys done um and it's a fun process because once you're done and you realize like we know the rosters are transient so the giants will draft guys and then They'll bring in some guys for rookie free agency and during training camp and preseason. And new guys are constantly popping up on the list. And you get a Dalen Baldwin that had a standout practice with the Giants on the 90-day tryout or nine uh the rookie tryout. And people are like, Who is this guy from Michigan? Well, he also played at Jackson State and he also played at Michigan. Then you pull up the scout report that you worked on in the in the, you know, during this, this lead up, and you're like, oh, this is why this stuff is useful. Even in the middle of the season, they sign somebody, you don't know who it is. This draft guy will probably have a scout report on it.
1: How did you get started? Uh, you know, doing the the whole draft guy, but also just on the scouting end and being somebody who, like you said, Emory goes to every All Star game throughout the early part of the off season, combine, et cetera. Uh, part, you know, one of the main the main qualities I admire in people in the business are obviously aptitude, but also above all is work ethic. And I think yours, Emery, is second to none. And I'm just wondering, like, how did you get started with it all? Like, how did you get involved on the side of, okay, I'm going to go see every single prospect for myself. And I'm also going to be able to tell people who haven't seen these guys play at all what they look like and where they would fit.
0: That's a great question, Pat, because it's kind of part of why you started this whole thing, why I started football game plan. You just want to continue to, I love football, number one. And then just being out there and being in a situation where, okay, everyone is doing what you're doing. How can you separate yourself? Where are the, the spots where people are not covering? Mm -hmm. And, you know, initially it was just about small college football and then women's tackle football. You know, I did a lot of stuff with the New York sharks out there. And um, that's how my first color commentary gig was calling a New York shark's, DC Divas playoff game down in DC, which was on TV. And that was my first opportunity doing color. And so I've always had a, you know, a, a, you know, respect for the women's tackle football game. And then now you're doing that. Now people come to you for those things and then you, they they see other things that you do. So when it was time for the All Star games, when I started to venture out and travel out to All Star games, at first I started going to the senior and shrine game because they were right behind each other. It made good sense. And then, you started to see other games pop up, and it was like, wow, those would be cool to go to as well because I just called this guy's game that played at Morgan State. Now he's playing in this all-star game, this Tropical Bowl. I want to get down there to see him. Mm. Um, and then I had an opportunity to color commentate the FCS Bowl, which is in December. It's the first one out the gate. It's an all-star game for small college guys. I go down there, and I saw the talent. I was like, wow, there's a lot of great talent here. I was like, oh, there's another all-star game? So I started just stacking and then after a while, you're like, hey, man, a lot of these guys that are coming in as undrafted free agents are playing in some of these smaller all-star games. So I'm a goal number one, to get content from our YouTube channel, post practice clips, interview players, develop my brand and develop my skill set. Um, and then once you go to one, you like, I, I got to keep going. And then you just kind of you snowball. So now you become the source. For where last year, I was at the Shrine Bowl. And Samari Toure, who is now the wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers, yeah. came up to me and was like, "Oh, I could wait to talk to you, man." When they said football game plan or the interview, you said, "I grew up watching your your clips on YouTube because you was the only one that had practice highlights from the All Star game. So I knew when I got man. to an All Star game, I know what to expect because this is what they do. So I watched the one on ones. So all of that stuff kind of you know feeds itself into why you do what you do, and it kind of it it becomes fun, and it becomes a necessary evil because. You could probably relate to this, unless you've seen it. It's hard to really take the advice from you know others that you know may not have been there. So there's nothing like like I like to say Asics
1: on the ground uh, at these (laughs) events. I love that. Yeah, there's nothing like seeing it firsthand. And also, you know, as when we cover sports, when you get embedded with a team or with a sport, and you're there every day. When you miss one day, sometimes you feel like you've missed (laughs) a week or a month, and so like you said, necessary evil. Now that you have set the expectation that you're going to be at every game, produce all these videos and scout every single player, now you can never back away because everybody's expecting it. Everyone's expecting the content. Like I said, everyone, go get um, Emory's draft guide right now at that website. But when we get into the draft talk now for the 2023 season, uh, like I said, I love your work ethic. I love your aptitude. I also like when I talk to Emory about football, It's never just about the players whose names are in the brightest lights. It's about mid-rounders. It's about undrafted free agents. Or even if we're talking about the big names, you just always have your own unique individual scouting take, both from what you've seen and who you've talked to. That typically is just something I'm not hearing anywhere else or something I've heard people say behind the scenes, but they're not willing to say on camera. And so I do respect your honesty and how you're candid about those reports. So without further ado, I want to get into the top quarterbacks, but I don't want to just ask you flat out about them. What I want to know from you is what number one consensus opinion about the top QBs out there right now is something that you disagree with or that people are missing. It could be about Richardson's talent. It could be about Bryce Young's size. It could be about cj stroud's ability whatever it is what is the consensus opinion you see on all the networks right now people are just repeating and parroting that you look at and say that's wrong and here's why
0: well it's i'm glad you prefaced it with that because it's it's funny because august now no july and the tweets are still out there july i am on sirius xm college football preview show, and they asked me about the draft and asked me who's my number one quarterback in this draft class, fully expecting me to say C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, right? I okay. say Anthony Richardson. Hold the phone. Like, what is this guy has only started – like, only played, like, five games last year, didn't it? And then now they tweeted out, everybody called me dumb and stupid. You know, fast forward. Now look at us, all right? Like, this is before <laughs> right. this dude even started a full season, and I told you he was the number one quarterback, right? But I said it to say this. I feel like everyone is forcing themselves to talk up Will Levis as a first round prospect, and I don't see it. Um mm. and it's not a knock on Will Levis. It's a it's just this is the he didn't ask for this, you know, promotion. Um to me, Will Levis is he, I, I compared him to to Daniel Jones, someone that's kind of like a you know a decent quarterback, right? Um gotcha. and when he's older. He's decent. He turns the ball over. He has some issues, um, and you know he's kind of Carson Wentz in that regard. Uh-oh. Who I, I had a fourth round grade on when he was coming out it was called everything but a child of God uh, that that year. Fast forward to now, look at us now. You know what I'm saying? Is even still in the NFL. So Man, you, Emery's got receipts today. I love it. Receipts, and receipts. so now, we look at Will Levis, and everybody will say, "Oh, he didn't have." An offensive coordinator. Yeah, uh, he had no weapons. He had no offensive line. Uh, you know, it, all these excuses. The, the blue grass wasn't blue this year. It was yellow. You know, all that stuff, right? They tell you go back and watch 2021 tape. Well, yeah, he he played the same way last year that he did this year. It wasn't that good then. Um, so I just mm. feel like the need to push up Will Levis is hurting him because now if he gets taken high in this draft, he's going to be expected to play when realistically. If you took Will Levis, and this is the same way I felt about Daniel Jones, you take those guys in a round appropriate, your expectations are set appropriately, right? So if you take Will Levis in round three and he, you need him to start a game or two and, you know, he kind of plays kind of well, okay, good. This is good value for a third-round pick. But when you take this guy in a top ten mm. and you're expecting top ten level expectations, then that kind of sets the bar. It sets the team back because – well, you're expecting this guy to be that guy when really he's not that guy. And it kind of sets everything back. So you kind of make excuses all around that guy. said so of hey, maybe we made the mistake in taking him this high.
1: When you when you said back in July that Richardson was going to be uh, the name to watch a quarterback and everyone was shouting you down, was that based on things you were hearing? Was that based on what you were watching or was it based on all, all of the above? Based on what I watched.
0: And I tell people all the time, it doesn't take long to spot the guy, right? So when people Mm. were asking me then, well, what games did you watch? I was like, go back and watch the LSU game of 2021. He didn't start that game. Emory Jones started. And he goes in, he throws a terrible interception. Um, Like first couple passes he threw, one was a bad interception. I think it was a pick six that went the other way. But Mm. after that pass, It was just phenomenal talent because he brought the team back, got the lead. Even on the last pass of the game, he made the right read, the right throw. He just got hit as he threw, which caused the ball to hang up, and the the linebacker that was covering the the tight end or receiver um, ended up intercepting the ball. But you saw everything. You saw a guy overcome adversity, an early mistake, win with athleticism, make some ridiculous throws, tight window throws, and also some deep throws, and even with the game on the line leading his team down the field for what it would have been the game winning touchdown had he not gotten hit. So that game kind of said, why is he not starting? Why wasn't he starting? And I'll tell you this too. This was, um, I was broadcast. I did a Morgan state game and we're, you know, our game kicked off at, I want to say two o'clock. So noon in the press box, we got TVs in there and, you know, you got college games playing. It was a Wisconsin game they was playing. I think they were playing Michigan. And so I'm, you know, preparing for the broadcast. I look up. They do a game cut in to Florida playing South Florida. And you see Anthony Richardson with the 75-yard touchdown run. I'm like, damn, that's crazy. This dude, like, he fast. So I'm getting back to work. I look back up. They cut back in. i like, well, this must be the um the play earlier. No, it was a second 75-yard touchdown run. I'm like, Jesus, like, why is this dude not starting? You know, so there's a lot of what you saw in those five games that he played. And it's like, hey, if he plays a full season and then, yeah. you know, Billy Napier is going to put him in a position to be successful. He has a chance to be the guy because he's young. He has a height, weight, speed. We saw him, you know, rip off these 75-yard runs. So, you know, he ran the 4-4, four, four, four and he has a ridiculous arm. So I, I felt like if I'm going to take a chance, this is going to be the
1: guy I'll take the chance on. Love it. All right. So a little rapid fire here. And it sounds like you may have the different top four quarterbacks or you could choose whoever you want. But just wondering from a scouting standpoint, how what fits do you like for some of these top prospects? You know, everyone can try and guess where they're going to go on the board. But when you look at Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, uh, Anthony Richardson, if you want to throw Hendon Hooker in there, Will Levis, maybe there's somebody else you're thinking, a first or second rounder. What fits do you like team to player best in this draft for some of these young QBs? You know, that's a great question, Pat,
0: because that's a great way to look at it. Um, because I have the same grade for I have them ranked Richardson, Bryce Young, Stroud, but all have the same grade. It's like the 2017 draft class for me, where I had Watson Mahomes and Deshaun Kaiser all had the same grade, but I wow. had Watson Mahomes Kaiser, like in that in that ranking, right? Um, but the fit is is what's key. And so, because I like them at, at different spots. I love Bryce Young with Houston. I feel like Bryce Young with his dynamic ability. And Houston has some pieces. They got a very underrated offensive line. They got a running back. Um, they're going to add some more pieces at receiver. Their defense is going to be solid based off the personnel that they already have. And also with the coach that's coming in, defensive-minded coach. So I'm not worried about that. You want someone that's ready to go right away. That's Bryce Young. I think he can step in and play well. C.J. Stroud, I do like him with Carolina. Reason being, Carolina is set up the same way that they if they just get stable quarterback play, they are the best team right now in the NFC South. No um, doubt. They got good no backfield, doubt. young, talented offensive line, a lot of young, good talent on defense, and good receivers that they can continue to build, and they need someone that could just drive the ship, which is C.J. Stroud. He reminds me a lot of Troy Aikman from an accuracy standpoint and how he just manages the pocket. Plus, you put him in there that plays the position the traditional way within the pocket with all those quarterback guys around him, Frank Wright, Josh McCown, Jim Caldwell. That's a perfect situation for him. I love Anthony Richardson in Indy because mm. Shane Steichen going to Indy, and you look at what they already have. Outstanding offensive line, great running back. You pair a quarterback that has that athleticism with a great running back, Fad, rewind to 2018 when the Browns had the first and fourth pick. People thought I was nuts when I said this back then. They asked, who would you take number one and who would you take at four. I said, I'm taking Saquon Barkley at number one because I know I could get the best quarterback at number four. And that's Lamar Jackson. I'm going to lead the league in rushing for the next decade. Ooh. So when you have two guys like this, if you put Anthony Richardson with Jonathan Taylor, Taylor's going to get 2,000 yards rushing easily. And anytime you have a great back pair with a mobile quarterback, the numbers, CJ2K was CJ2K with Vince Young. He was CJ1400 with everybody else, right? <laughs> you look at Warwick Dunn with Michael Vick, had his best years with Michael Vick, 1500-yard rushing, ridiculous yards per carry average. So I like that fit because the Steikens work with Jalen Hurts was already on, in place with um, on the roster and his athleticism. He can step in as a rookie in Indy, and play really well, and do exactly what you need him to do as a rookie, and have that team successful. And I'll just throw Will Levis in here because even though I have Will Levis as QB eighteen, just because everyone's familiar with Will Levis eighteen. Because again, I cover a lot of guys, so you see, if we, when you see a lot of quarterbacks, you tend to rank and file guys, right? So wait, who's your who's quarterback four for you then? I'm a big Todd Senteo fan out of James Madison. Love that he. Um, I remember seeing him. Uh, at the uh, College Gridiron Showcase. And I'm like, wow, this dude is really efficient throwing the football. Um, no, he was at the Tropical Bowl. He was like, he's just efficient. Then I saw him at the NFL PA Bowl and then it dawned on me, I was like, I've seen this guy's name before. I said, oh snap, this is the kid that was at Colorado State. And I remember watching the game when South Dakota State was beating the brakes off Colorado State. I was like, "Yo, this, this Colorado State quarterback ain't bad. And that was him. He transferred from Colorado State to JMU, ended up winning Sunbelt Conference Offensive Player of the Year. Um, so he did a great job there. He's just efficient with the football. It's kind of like Tyrod Taylor um, in his efficiency, right? So, hmm. but for Will Levis, I feel like Will Levis would be someone that would work well um based off how they want to operate their offense, he would be someone in Tennessee. That, that will be fine. You know, even though I still have hopes for Malik Willis, if they don't want to, you know, continue to groom and, and develop Malik Willis and want to move on to someone else, you need someone that can step in and play. Maybe the Raiders could be a, a solid spot, but not at pick number seven. Um, Tennessee, if – I know people are about Tennessee trading up. I think they trade up to get Will Anderson and not a quarterback because uh, they need a pass rusher. Um, so, for me, mm-hmm. I would say maybe Tennessee could be for – Someone like Will Levis, it just he's kind of Tannielish, you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. that, there's, I think he's more of a QB2 at the NFL level than a QB1.
1: Fascinating. Yeah, the old like New Orleans Saints, I remember them trading up and me thinking years ago it was for a quarterback and ended up being for Marcus Davenport, uh, the pass rusher. And so you're saying the Titans can make a move even higher on the board for a pass rusher rather than a QB, even though there's a lot of smoke around that. Oh, I love the fits. Uh, I love the fact that your top four isn't everyone else's top four. Again, that's what, that's what makes you different and unique. Um, and let me, let me throw one more QB question at you before we head on to some other positions, just to bat this around, because we have a report out there now that um, Mac Jones, uh, that Bill Belichick and the Patriots have shopped Mac Jones earlier this offseason. They've talked to different teams and let's face it, people can say it's true, it's not true. The bottom line is it looks from the outside like Mac Jones doesn't really enjoy being a Patriot, and now there's noise that the Patriots don't really want him to be on the team anyway. <laughs> so let me throw this at you. Patriots, 14th pick, whether it's trade whether it's trade up, Anthony Richardson to the Patriots. Could Bill Belichick make that work? I know they they have done homework on him. Is that something that you could see fitting with Bill O'Brien as offensive coordinator? Could Belichick go uh, to a, such a different offense and to that athletic dual-threat quarterback, do you see that being any kind of possibility? Definitely a possibility. If you if you listen to the comments
0: of Bill Belichick whenever they face mobile quarterbacks, and these are teams that have beaten his face in, go back to Kaepernick, go back to Cam Newton, go back to Deshaun Watson's rookie year, or, you know, um, then you go to... Uh, Lamar Jackson has beaten his face in like I'm sick of getting beat in by these athletic quarterbacks. I better find me one and get me one. And so and it makes sense from a defensive minded coach's perspective, because all that is is game control, game management, the run game. What I talked about earlier, I alluded to that earlier. If you are running the football, you got to worry about my quarterback. Time of possession is going to be in your favor constantly. You're going to be able to drain the clock, which also puts the other team's offense at a disadvantage because now you have to maximize your possessions, which means you got to score on my defense, which is always going to be top 10. So your job is going to be harder. So, yes, it makes complete sense for him to w- want an Anthony Richardson because that just makes it number one in 11 on 11 game, but also changes the game flow, changes the game script, changes how you play offense and defense from an opposing side and it makes things a heck of a lot harder for you, which is why Baltimore, despite their flaws, they're very tough to beat. That's why they win a lot of games with Lamar Jackson, even though if you look at certain teams pound for pound, you like, oh, they got better receivers, they got better this, they got... But you, it's hard to beat Baltimore, even though you may have the better team. So that's why it makes sense to see the smoke around him wanting uh, to move up or
1: probably with wanting a quarterback like in Anthony Richardson. Yeah, and if you're going to have Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and that Dolphins receiving core in your division, is Mac Jones going to get it done in the AFC East? You know, I don't know. And don't get me started on how much better Lamar would make any other team in the NFL and how ridiculous all of that is, And that the fact that the market hasn't developed. That's a whole other topic. But staying on the draft, going to running back really quickly, somebody brought to my attention, I didn't even realize this, but. Saquon Barkley obviously picked second overall in 2018. Since then, the highest running back taken in the draft was, it's a tie between Josh Jacobs in 2019 and Najee Harris in 2021 at 24th overall. So my question to you, Emery, is, is Bijan Robinson out of Texas going to be the first running back since Saquon Barkley to be selected, let's just say in the top 20 of the NFL draft? It's a good possibility. I, I would say Jonathan Taylor should have been drafted in the
0: top 20 um, based off what he did at Wisconsin, but people were worried about the mileage. Um, Saquon, I'm sorry, uh, Bijan looking at my running backs since 2020, my running back grades, he would be third uh, behind Jameer Gibbs, who I have first, um, and DeAndre Swift. They had the two highest grades coming out as prospects. Bijan would be third in that, in that ranking. And again, yes, this is what people don't get about the whole running back first round thing. If running backs are warranted to go high, take them. And it just makes more sense. Everybody's talking about, well, you know, the best value for a running back is when they're young because you don't want to give them a second contract. Well, that also means <laughs> take them in the first round then. Like, so you can get the maximum value. Right. Get the while top they're younger. production, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So people, they love to talk about both sides of their mouth. Um, so, yeah, if, if you're a
1: team like Buckingham,
0: if you're a team like Miami if you're a team like Philadelphia you know if you're a team like um New Orleans you, you know there is a bunch of teams that you know that could use a tailback and people don't understand the difference just like the mobile quarterback when you have a game breaker at tailback it changes everything just like the Giants I know how they I, I hate how they kind of try to make it Daniel Jones's success with Saquon no it was Saquon's success and Daniel Jones is able just to, you know, be there, and hand the ball off. And, you know, <laughs> but you but when you have that game breaker, when teams stopped Saquon, Giants offense did nothing. And so when you have that game sure. breaker, that guy that really forces you to 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 really defend the entire field, because you're always one carry away from breaking the game open, yes, you take that guy in the first round. You don't take any back in the first round. You know, there's a difference between you know uh, Barry Sanders and me, right? Like you take <laughs> Barry Sanders in the top five because he's always going to carry away from breaking the score
1: open. So that's what that's the difference. And Bijan is that guy. I always felt this way about the Sony Michelle Patriots pick late in the first round that year, where I felt like in New England it was viewed as oh good player but not a great pick because it didn't sustain. I'm thinking, wait, no, 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 wait a second. It was a team that was built to win and they drafted a good running back in the late first round who helped them win a Super Bowl. And so, yeah, he's not still their running back today, but if that was a hole on the roster that helped you maximize your team then and helps you win, and to your point, if, if running back is not a position that sustains anyway and you have the luxury in order to get one then and to just hit it now, get the production, and win a championship, how is that not a great pick? Of course it's a great pick. Um, I always that was a that thought that was a funny one. Um but on Bijan real quick, what is his be- what is his skill set? Like what does he do best? Um what kind of runner do you see him being in the NFL? Is there anybody maybe that you comp him to or an offense that you think his skill set uh you know matches perfectly? Uh, any and all of the above. He's a complete back. That's what makes him
0: special because he can run, he can go down the field in the passing game. Uh he can Pass protect. Obviously, every back needs a little to clean up a little bit there, but he's good at it. He knows how to get in the way. That's really all you can ask for. Um, and he has the speed to to really hit the home run. So I think him being a complete back, I compared him to Cedric Benson, although he may be a better pass receiver um, than Cedric Benson. Uh, I don't see the Saquon comp. Saquon is two thirty, runs four um, three, and has agility like someone that's one hundred and eighty pounds. So he's definitely not Saquon but he's very good in his own
1: right. Hmm. Interesting. Yes, he is, a, he is a unicorn. There's no doubt about that. All right, so now not to talk about receivers, 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 but last year we saw 13 wide receivers picked in the first two rounds. That was tied, I believe, for the 2020 draft for the most ever in the first two rounds in the common era. So teams are taking a lot of chances on receivers. They're taking chances early. This year, is wide receiver again that position that teams are going to binge on, that is strong at the top, that teams are going to go in on? Or is there a different position, in your opinion, that there's going to be a huge run on in the first couple rounds that's stronger at the top and that we're going to look back on in early May and say the whole league was obsessed with this position in the 2023 NFL draft?
0: Uh, Listen, another great question, Pat. I feel like Last year, anytime you have a quartet or so of quarterbacks, it pushes everything down, right? So now you got the quarterback run that's going to happen. And then you have, what's another position? Edge rusher. You have guys at the top that people want as edge rushers, pushes everyone else down. Then you look at offensive line. Everyone always looks at the offensive line, tackles. And now people are more comfortable taking guards in round one, pushes everybody down, corners, push everybody down. So now... With receivers because it's a passing league, as they say, uh, yeah, you're gonna have I say three to four receivers maybe going round one. But mm. this year you see uh you still have a you have some other quarterbacks that people will talk themselves into, maybe on the back end of round one, but also at the top of round two. So probably a little bit like last year, you're gonna see three to four receivers maybe going round one, maybe three. And then hmm. a bunch going round two, because again, now we know your third receiver is your is a starter, and so you're going to see a bunch of corners and receivers going round two based off how the game is played nowadays. So is is corner a strong position in this class? I believe so. Um, hmm. It's just it's always until football at the collegiate level changes and goes back to what we used to see it growing up. You know, run game defense. But now it's, you know, three and four wide receiver sets. Uh, so that means you're going to see a lot of nickel and dime defenses. So you're going to have an abundance of talent coming out, trickling up a lot of receivers and a lot of corners and DB. So until that changes, it's going to always be a deep receiver
1: and deep uh, defensive back class. OK, so now to, to take advantage of your full breadth of encyclopedic knowledge of all these positions, I don't want to just ask you about the top guys, but we're going to do a little bit of rapid fire here. You take it whichever direction you want, but we're going to go position by position with some of the key ones. And I want to call this stud sleeper UDFA. So for each position, we'll go over, you know, you can give me a guy who you think you would take in round one if you had a need at that position and you think the guy could start right away. Then maybe a mid rounder that people aren't talking about who's going to rise up boards, who's going to be. Uh, an impressive surprise player, and then those undrafted free agent late rounders that no one talks about now, but on May 2nd, everybody likes to say that, yeah, they, they remember seeing him on tape and in early September and they liked him. Um, so let's start at corner, because this is a position the Giants are looking at, and this is a strong position in the draft. So stud, sleeper, UDFA, give me your three at the cornerback position. Stud corner Darius rush out of South Carolina.
0: I've never seen, and this is dating back to when I played ball and now covering it and scouting it. I've never seen someone catch as many interceptions in one-on-one than Darius rush did at the senior bowl. That is so impossible because that drill is slanted toward the offense, having success. And he was running routes as the receiver and picking the ball off. And you go back and watch his film. Everyone talks about his teammate, Cam Smith. But Rush was just as good. And this is what people need to understand about Rush. He's 6'2", 200 pounds. He's a former college wide receiver before making a switch to corner. So now you have that information. Upside is still there. You think about Richard Sherman. You think about those guys that have made that transition from offense to defense. And, you know, the upside is there. He's long. He's athletic. And he has ball skills. That's your stud right there. Your sleeper. Justin Ford out of Montana. Age is going to be a question with a lot of these guys. I feel like everybody in this draft is 24 years old, right? Because of the COVID plus year. But this dude has ridiculous ball skills. I'm talking about someone with double-digit interceptions, multiple pick sixes on his record. So not only can he turn the ball, but he's looking to score the ball as well. And he was phenomenal down at the Hula Bowl. Uh, So now you watch him go from Montana, big level FCS program in the big sky. Um, They see a lot of different Plays uh you know type of offenses out there in the big sky conference, but he goes to the Hula Bowl against the FBS competition and holds his own. And the mm. sleeper or the undrafted free agent, Darius Williams of Texas AM Commerce, they moved up to the FCS this year. They were in the Long Star Conference, Division II conference for a long time. Now they moved up to the Southland. The reason why I brought him up, so I'm at the Tropical Bowl, was fascinated by this game. And I'm sitting there watching practice and I'm like, you know, and you don't want to throw out comps, but I was like, man. This dude kind of remind me of you know Darren Williams. You know what I'm saying? Like that played with the Broncos. Mm. That's his son. I didn't know that until I put I it in the know that article. Either. I I put it <laughs> I put it in the article, and he reached out. and Was like, yes, that's my that's my dad. I was like, wow, I feel old, but also I knew I was. I know he played just like his dad. So this Man. is someone to watch. And it it's funny what you see out there
1: on the road uh, as you're doing your scouting. There's some confirmation of what you're seeing right there. Right. That's that that's good. That's a feel good. You close you close the book on that day and you say, "I still got it." Right, <laughs> still got it, man. But it's funny because you like you you know his,
0: his dad passed away. You don't want to throw out the name, um, you know. And but it's like, damn,
1: that's why it, it's his son. It makes sense. Fascinating. All right, wide receiver stud sleeper UDFA at the wide receiver position. Stud Zay Flowers. And it's funny, I was at the Shrine game
0: and, you know, he didn't practice the first day. And so yeah. every there was rumors swirling about whether or not he was going to practice or he was only going to do all, uh, you know, individual workouts. So the next day, he's fully padded and he's going to practice. When I tell you, Pat, almost immediately, you was like, this dude shouldn't be here, man. This dude is like, <laughs> like his level of explosiveness and burst, was otherworldly. And this was during, you know, individual periods. Like, man, this dude is, is ridiculous. So you go watch this film, he's greatest film. And I couldn't, you know, I don't like to force comps. If a comp is there, I'll use it. But watching him, he's fast in all directions. He's explosive in all directions. I couldn't get Tyreek Hill out of my mind. He's 5'9", 195. He's well put together. Um, and he would have had probably 1,500 yards receiving and double-digit touchdowns had they had you at quarterback at Boston College. <laughs> Like they struggled this year throwing the football, but he was open a lot on film. He's a Ooh. stud, the sleeper, Colton Dowell of UT Martin, and he's six two two ten. Runs four four, jumped forty inches at his pro day. Um, his street cone was ridiculous, and those are the testing numbers. But the reason why he jumped on my radar as I'm grading receivers. I'm because I always like if I'm doing a FCS uh, player, I, I like to find the FBS game because that gives you close of the one-to-one to to what it's like playing pro-level athleticism. He was baking Tennessee. He had Tennessee corners in crisis mode. Like, he was murdering those DBs all throughout the game.
1: Great hands. hands.
0: Great hands. He could win short. He could win intermediate. He could win deep down the field. And he's a taller receiver. He fits the M.O. of Isaiah Hodgins, but a little bit faster. So that would be someone that could be on the radar for the Giants. And the sleep and uh, undrafted guy, I got to go to what I know. I call a lot of Georgetown games. Josh Tomas is box office. like, And he can impact the game as a receiver, as a kickoff, and or punt returner. Um, he's 5'10", 185. Every time Georgetown needed a big play, they found Tomas. And it was one of the broadcast clips that I had. I posted on my Twitter account. Um, you know, Georgetown, they, every time he touched the ball, it was a first down or a big play. And then they went, you know, I want to say maybe two drives of not throwing his way. And so I, I was like, man, it's, I would go back to Tomas. They go back to him, 30-yard gain. The next play, they throw to him, touchdown. I was like, why was that so hard? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> this is this dude that they can't cover. So he is someone um, I thought he was going to go back and take advantage of the extra year at Georgetown. But he's he came out. He had his pro day already.
1: Um, he's someone, because of his special team's ability, he's going to find himself on a roster. All right, this is great stuff. We'll, we'll get to a couple more positions and then get you out of here. We know, we know you're a very busy man, but this is just awesome stuff. Like I said, you're taking us throughout the draft, all across the draft board. Really can't thank you enough. All right, interior offensive line, stud, sleeper, UDFA. Stud
0: is clearly Osiris Torrance of Florida. By way of University of Louisiana, you know, Billy Napier is my guy. I'm a big Mm -hmm. Billy Napier guy, right? Big fan. But what I don't appreciate is him taking all of our pro prospects and bringing them down to Gainesville. Because how cool it would have been to have another potential first-round pick coming from University of Louisiana. That's Osiris Torrance. He is dominant on both ends of offense. He is 6'5", 330, good footwork, can devastate guys in the run game. Can also do a great job in pass pro and he went to Florida and stepped in right away against. It. So he jumped from the Sun Belt, which is power six conference jump yeah. from the Sun Belt and goes to the SEC and dominates right away. This dude is NFL ready. He's ready to go right now. Day one starter um, up front. He is the stud at the position. Now the sleeper. And this is weird because this is a power five program. Um, but there's a reason why I think he's a sleeper. And it's Jordan McFadden out of Clemson. He was 6'2", huh. 295, 298 pounds. But he played; he was a starting left tackle. He was excellent as a left tackle. But we know at 6'2", you're not playing left tackle in the NFL. But when nope. you factor in his pass probability, his footwork, that's necessary to be a, a, an elite left tackle, kick that inside to guard, and you have a phenomenal guard prospect that has left tackle, athleticism, footwork, hand usage, and all of those things. Eyes, all of those things. You kick that down inside, he's going to be a star. I think he's someone that not a lot of people are talking enough about. So he's my number two guard behind, or he's not my number one guard and he's. A, I actually have a higher grade on him than I do Osiris Torrance. but I know Torrance is going to step in right away, go first round. The under the radar guy that you DFA, Phillip Rohovac of Western University. Where is that? You ask Pat. That's in <laughs> London, Ontario.
1: That's oh, a, you took Canadian the words you... right out of my mouth. Where is that? <laughs> exactly.
0: That is up in Canada. He is. He is one of the best CFL draft prospects in this class. Uh, but I saw him down at the College Gridiron Showcase. More than held his own against American talent. And here's the thing about. Um, and we've we've known the Giants to bring in um, Canadian. Offensive lineman from up from up north for training camp. They had Samuel Thominson, uh, who was a fantastic offensive lineman from Laval. They brought him in for you know r- rookie OTAs and rookie minicamp and stuff like that. But Grahovac yeah. is someone to me when you watch this tape at Western. Now Western's one of the top tier programs up there, but he is like obliterating guys up front, right? Just like this Pancake City. But, but the cool part about him going down to the College gridiron Showcase and the difference between a Canadian college game and a U.S. game up in Canada, we know they play a yard and a half off the ball. So when you come down in the States, you're right on each other. So having to deal with pressure quickly, having to deal with that athleticism and that strength faster than you would up north, he was able to handle himself uh, m- more than held his own against the, the consistency of the strength, power, speed, and quickness of the guys in the States than what he played throughout his career at the youth sports level. So he is someone that also is six, four about 315 pounds. Um, he was a tackle at Western, but he is someone that did um, that I think can transition down and play well in the States. So he's going to, he's going to be a CFL, probably first rounder, maybe even second rounder um, in a CFL draft, which happens a week after the NFL and Western university. Give a shout out to them. Cause I went up there in 20, Seventeen or 2015, I believe, um, to, they play their senior bowl before the season. So they play it in May, first week of May. So i go up there and scout their talent. It's the first place I had Duck. Fantastic, by the way.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds like some team could get some really good value out of him later in the draft coming from a, a different path than, like you said, a lot of these power five guys. I just have to say too, about Osiris Torrance, you mentioned him at the, as the stud, he, Emery, he's like the kind of guy like if I were lining up across from him, where like I would turn to the coach before the play and say, "Coach, what am I supposed to do with this guy?" <laughs> it's like he's so big. I when I was searching for a, a photo of him the other day to put on Instagram as a guy who was a good fit uh, for the Giants, it was hard to find one where he's basically all in in the same screen. I mean, he is just just covering defensive linemen. It's it's something to see. It's amazing when you think about. The Raging
0: Cajun offensive line, and Max Mitchell was with the Jets. Osiris Torrance was with the Raging Cajuns last year. Um, there was another guy that uh, you know was really good as well. Um, Kim Marks would have been great, but he retired medically. Retired. He was another one that was a highly thought of prospect. Why would you not want to go to the University of Louisiana? You know, if, especially if you're a high school student athlete. Go down south to Louisiana and uh go visit that Raging Cage program. That's my pitch for these guys out here in this tri-state area
1: that's watching this show. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. One more position uh for stud, sleeper, and UDFA. Pass rushers. Obviously, teams are always looking for one. They're always looking for them high. They're looking for them for value. So stud, sleeper, UDFA, the pass rushers of the 2023 NFL draft class. The stud is Will Anderson. Listen. Watching his film,
0: the the name that came, and all the talk you hear about everything about him, just when you've been around it long enough like we have, Pat, nothing is new. So Will Anderson is Terrell Suggs reincarnated. Oh, he's Ooh. too short. Oh, well, he didn't run this type of speed. I don't, like. All I knew is Terrell Suggs had 23 and a half sacks as a senior. All <laughs> I know is every time I watch Alabama play, 31 is in the backfield all the time. Like this year, what people forget to talk about is how they had him play a different position. They had him do different things. So he wasn't as, uh, you know, explosive or dynamic because they had him doing different. They had him more over the tackle, over the tight end. He just wasn't just out there rushing. But last year, when he was playing the Will Anderson role, dude was in the backfield all the time, just a game disruptor. Give me him over any other pass rusher in the class. He's the stud. The sleeper. Another sleeper from a power five school that not a lot of people are talking about is mm. DJ Johnson out of Oregon. You know, he is you know 6'4, 260. I think he could play with his hand in the dirt or as a stand-up edge rusher. I have him great as a four three defensive end or an edge guy he could play either one. People are wow, he ran four four nine. like why are you surprised? He was a tight end at Oregon. So of course, he's an offensive guy going to defense, played defense rather well this year for Oregon. So now you look at upside, a guy that's still learning how to play defense with the offensive athleticism. People have to think, man, like this is where I can get someone that's a mold of clay, um, but has enough productivity on defense to where like, okay, he knows what he's doing. If I could just get him going in the right direction more consistently, I have a future stud there. So I think that's the sleeper. And I'm going back to Texas a Commerce for the undrafted guy. Celestine Habba, 6'2", 250 258 um he's built like uh Oizs plays a lot like him too
1: uh-huh.
0: and he is someone that tested well I think he won I think he ran four six something um as an edge rusher uh just dominant off the edge it, it was so funny there was he was at a tropical bowl, and there was two Portions of the Tropical Bowls, the Tropical Bowl scrimmage, where guys kind of competed and played themselves into the regular Tropical Bowl week, right? Because they already had, so it was two separate rosters. So the scrimmage, there were back to back, he changed, he altered how they um, called the rest of the scrimmage because there wasn't enough offensive linemen, um, you know, to, you know, and so he whipped this one dude so bad and just exploded into the quarterback. And just to set the scene, it was kind of like, you know, remember the, the video game, super high impact. Like you could yeah. hit somebody hard and all your equipment just explode off. <laughs> That's what it was. It was like, Jesus, he just murdered this dude. Then he came back the next play and did it again. And so now it's like, okay, well, we're going to change it to more. We're going to stop the full contact part of it. We're going to do more seven on seven. And so th- I've never seen him. I never seen a player single-handedly change a, a format of an event. And so that's him. (laughs) Then he goes and you watch his film. He was doing the same thing. He has great wingspan. Same thing in the Southland Conference where they throw a lot. So you see a lot of pass rush reps blowing guys up. So to me, Celestine Hobb is an undrafted free agent that's going to find his way on an NFL roster. Because he tested well and his productivity is where it needed to be.
1: All right, last thing. I wasn't intended to ask about this, but I saw you put on your Twitter account that you thought that this was an interesting opportunity draft for teams looking for return men. And so I was just curious because that's something I know here in New York, it's almost like they keep cycling guys in for a few games here and there, and they keep failing to land like a stud who the other team is afraid to punt to. Um, So I was just wondering if anybody's off on the top of your mind or who has stuck out to you in that regard. Um, I found that interesting because you don't usually see people saying that about like a draft class. It's usually like a, a player here or there who has those special traits and can make guys miss, but maybe not a, a glut of talent in that area.
0: James Letcher Jr. out of Washburn, if that name sounds that school, you know the Giants have had familiarity with Washburn. You had Corey Ballantine, who was a great returner coming from Washburn, remember? Mm. Um and right. Letcher is someone that is built a little bit like Wandell Robinson. He's five six 172, but the dude can fly, bro. Like, when I say kickoff and punt return, that's a given. He averaged 24 and a half yards a kickoff return, has three kickoff return touchdowns, 17-something and a half yards, 12 and a half yards per punt return with two punt return touchdowns. Averaging 12 and a half yards a punt return is insane. And I'm looking at his stats here as in the draft guide. He has 20 receiving touchdowns, He also has 370 yards rushing with two rushing touchdowns, So he is a move piece, but he's a special talent at, uh, whatchamacallit, as a kickoff and partner. Eight time division two All-American because he made (laughs) All-American teams as, you know, first team wide receiver. All four years? Well, yeah, all four years, but also as a wide receiver and kickoff return specialist. So that's got to be a record. (laughs) That has to be a record. Eight time, uh, all-American at Division II level, two-time MIAA, which is a very strong Division II conference. You're talking about uh, Northwest Missouri State. You're talking about uh, Emporia State. you talking about Washburn. You're talking about Lindenwood before they jumped up to FCS. So he was two-time Special Teams Player of the Year. So he, this is one of these classes. And to keep it as a local fair, another guy that I've been on the broadcast for, Fotis Kokosoulis out of Fordham. Hmm. I called the game when they did they, when they played Mammoth, and that game went into seven overtimes. <laughs> Foltis Kokasulas, no lie, seven overtimes. They had over fifteen hundred yards of total offense in that game combined. Fotes Kokasulas had thirteen receptions for three, I want to say three hundred and fifteen yards, Yikes. and four touchdowns. Outside of that, his kickoff return, his is that like a sixty yard kickoff return that set them up for the touchdown that put the game into overtime. And so this dude was phenomenal. And that's just, oh, he played against Monmouth. Go back and watch the game Fordham did. or They played against Ohio, the Bobcats. First okay. play of the game, 70 yard touchdown pass. He's down the sideline, gone. And Fotis had 300 something yards receiving in that game um, with 13 receptions. So he's another, he's 5'8, 185 pounds. He had his pro day. He didn't run 4'3 or 4'4, but. When you talk about someone that can do damage with the ball in his hands, he's also a kickoff and punt returner as well. That's the type of guy that can get, he's local. So you have to pay much. He get him right across the bridge and be <laughs> right there. In East Rutherford and help you
1: out on special teams. I mean, this has been phenomenal listeners. If, if you can believe it, this is just not even scratching the surface of the amount of information that is in Emory's draft guide. Again, Go to footballgameplan.com backslash 2023 draft guide. You can follow Emery at FBallGamePlan on Twitter. He's got the Football Game Plan YouTube page that has the kind of following we are only dreaming of here, getting started here at Talking Ball. Emery, can't thank you enough for joining us, for spending the time, and for dropping the knowledge. We are much smarter for you having done so. And excited to talk to you more online and offline as we approach the draft, man. Thanks again.
0: Appreciate you, man. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.